0: So, uh, this next couple of weeks, we just have a break from any series and any books of the Bible. Two weeks from now, we're going to start the book of Exodus, which I'm really excited for us to go through throughout the fall and up until Advent. Uh, It's such a beautiful book of the Old Testament, central to God's mission and what He's doing. But in the meantime, we get to kind of preach on whatever we want. In Spanish, the word pastor, it has two meanings, like a lot of languages. And in Spanish, it means pastor, like someone that works vocationally for the church. But it also means shepherd. And I always love that in Spanish, it means both those things. And I always wished in English, it would mean both those things. Because a lot of the work that Vince and I and other leaders in this church do is to shepherd this flock, is to guide us a certain direction. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to be shepherding the flock in a, a few different directions into uh, deeper depths of, of God and who he is and what he's about. And so if you're here and you're just visiting or you're not a Christian, welcome. Um, it, but, and thank you for coming. I appreciate you being here, but it's going to be a little bit of a family talk here. And so if you feel like I'm saying stuff, and you're like, I don't need to live that way. And I go, you're right. Unless you believe in Christ, uh, I, I, this, this way of living is, is for us as, as Christians. And so as I'm saying things Uh, You can just go get them, Anthony, right? And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing in the next couple weeks. My hope is to kind of shepherd us into deeper relationship with God, deeper following of Him. And so today in particular, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So let's pray really quick before we get into that idea. God, uh, we need you for this to be good. God, thank you that you've put shepherds in my life. Thank you that you are the good and great shepherd over all of us. God, would you guide us in this time? Would you cause our hearts to hear from you? God, make our hearts good soil for the gospel. God, would you make your ways beautiful to us? God, I confess of my own... cultural ideologies and idolatries that that make me want to live contrary to what you have for me and God I ask that we would all kind of just lay that on the table before you and that we'd be able to hear from you without that affecting us and God let us jump into the depths of of gospel community today God we love you and we need you amen the great philosopher Miley Cyrus, once said in a song where she's saying over and over again that we can do what we want. We can party how we want. We can be who we want. Over and over again, she's saying this. There's a line in the song, though, that I think kind of captures American spirituality. So not just Christianity, but I think it captures American spirituality. And the line is this. She says, remember, only God can judge us. Um, sorry, I did that. She has this line in the middle of the song where she says, remember, only God can judge us. And I think this a lot of times captures American spirituality. We have this mentality, a lot of us, that there's some kind of God, some kind of greater being, and only he can talk to me about me. Only he can correct me. Only he can judge me. And and far be it from anyone else to talk to me or judge me or tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. And I think this kind of mentality is also seeped into the church. Where in the church, the second something starts to kind of make us disagree or make us feel uneasy or or make us not feel good, we begin to go, no, listen, this is a just Jesus and me thing. This is between me and Jesus, and and you need to see your way out of it. Like, there's just kind of this mentality that our faith is a solo faith, that it's just a personal faith. Now listen, there's very personal components to our faith, but when you read the Bible, you see that our faith isn't a just Jesus and me faith, but it's a Jesus and us faith, that we together are chasing after Jesus. Look at some of the language that that God uses to tell us what biblical community looks like. In a few different places, we hear that we're members of one another. We're members of one another. That we're one body with Jesus as the head. How connected is that imagery? In Ephesians 2, Paul says that we're together being built as the temple of God. We're together being built. I don't know if you've ever tried to tear down a cement wall before or a stone wall before, but it's very difficult. That should get, show you imagery of how connected we are. All throughout the New Testament, starting with Jesus and a lot of the other authors, echo this language: is we're talked about like we're a family. That we're family that we are the family of God. God has adopted us in and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ now. This isn't just beautiful language. This isn't just poetic language. This is a reality for those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord. We are actually family members. And I think too often the just Jesus and me faith kind of distorts that stuff. And we go, yeah, I like that. That's good. That's great. But as long as uh, I connect with those people, as long as uh, our relationship only goes this deep, as long as I get to vent and complain and they pray for me and they never correct me in my venting or complaining, like I, I think a lot of times the, the just Jesus and me faith does that. But I think the gospel has deeper implications for us when it comes to the Jesus in us faith, which is what I think the Bible talks about. I think it has deeper implications. The idea that Jesus the King has come to earth and he has established his people. Those have deeper implications than just being really, really connected to one another and really, really good and nice friends. There are deeper implications and and good good news for us is the New Testament Testament authors, they flesh that out for us. They tell us what are some of the implications of Jesus our King establishing this people and saying that we are to be stewards and, and reflectors of who he is and witnesses to what he's done. Let's look at some of those. Some of those, I think some of those things that flesh out, what does it mean to be members of one another? Hebrews 3, 12, and 14. You can turn your Bibles. Honestly, it's going to be kind of hard to turn to all these verses, but we're going to be mostly in Hebrews if you want to turn there. But Hebrews 12 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That, that's some strong language. That's some deep community. Right? We're not just called to hang out. The the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, what you need to do is exhort each other. If you don't know what that word means, it's really like command each other, but in an encouraging way. So command each other in an encouraging way so that your heart doesn't become hardened by sin, so that your heart doesn't choose sin over God. And you could go, oh, Anthony, that's the exception to the rule, except for look what the author of Hebrews said. Do it every single day as long as we still call them days. So this is not an exception to the rule. This should be common to the people of God that we are exhorting one another away from our sin. That shouldn't be the exception to the rule. Hopefully it is because of God's righteousness in us. But I think the author of Hebrews understood human nature and understood how much we're, we need that. Look at Hebrews ten twenty four for some other implications of of Jesus being king and establishing his people. Verse 24 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So not only do we push each other away from sin, but we begin to speak into each other's life, and stir each other up towards love and good deeds. Now, again, you go, oh, that sounds nice. No, have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, you should do this. You should do this good thing for this person. You go, only God can judge me. Where's Miley? Like, you're just, you don't want to hear that. But we're supposed to stir one another up to deeper love, to more good works, often meeting together, encouraging one another more and more as it gets closer to Christ's return. You don't have to turn here, but Ephesians 5.21, Paul is is giving all these one another commands. You see all these one another commands throughout the New Testament of how we as Christians are supposed to live and care and love each other. And he he is giving a handful of these commands before he starts talking about what specific family life should look like. And he says this to kind of cap it off in verse 21. That we as Christians should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Anthony, I don't like that. I know some of you are thinking that. You go, I don't like that. What does that mean? I don't want to submit to people. But Jesus, the king, has established his people in a way that we do submit to one another. And if that begins to be hard for you, know this. This is not just arbitrary. This this reflects who Jesus is. This reflects how he lives. And so we're retelling the story of Jesus' life when we live this way. And we'll get more into that later. But we're, we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This last one, Hebrews 13, 17. I don't want to read this one, if I'm going to be honest, because it talks about leaders. And I don't want to read it because it could come across like I'm this like authoritarian, and I'm like, hey, you got to obey me. So pretend I'm like a guest preacher and I'm not a leader at this church. <laughs> because the reality is I, I want you to hear the whole counsel of God's word. And even the things that are kind of awkward for me to say, I want to say them because God says them to us. Hebrews 13, 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the implications of Jesus being king and establishing his people go far deeper than just being really, really, really connected. In fact, I guess what you could just say is it means we really, really, really are connected to one another. We really, really are members of one another. We really are called to exhort one another away from sin. We are really called to stir up one another towards love. We are really called to, at times, submit to one another, even when we don't want to. And we're called to obey our leaders, This is the sort of community that God calls us to. And here's my hope as, as I'm hoping to shepherd us today like I talked about earlier. My hope is that our gospel community begins to look like this. I'm going to steal uh, an illustration I heard from Tim Keller as we're apt to do here. And he uses this illustration to, to describe the sort of community that, that Christians should be in. And it's this. It, he, he references uh, the story, of The Odyssey, the poem, The Odyssey, uh, by Homer. If you, if you don't know that story, you weren't in ninth grade at a public school because you have to read that there. And so if you don't know the story, it's about Odysseus. He has to get back home so these guys don't steal his wife from him. And so he has to take this epic journey to get home, and there's all sorts of trials on the way. And one of the trials on the way are these sirens, these mythical creatures that sing or use their voices in some way to lure people to them, lure ships to them, and the, the ships dash themselves on the rocks because they're hearing how beautiful this, this music or whatever it might be is, and, and they just go towards destruction because of it. And so Odysseus, He takes all his sailors and shipmates and he gets wax and he puts wax in all of their ears so that they can't hear anything. And then he ties himself to the mast of the ship and he says to his shipmates, I think before he puts that with the wax in, Hey, no matter what I do, no matter how much I scream, no matter how much I flail, no matter how much I beg you, take me to the destination that we're going to no matter how much I say, no, we got to go this way instead, no matter how much I cry, no matter what I do, take me to the destination that we need to go to. And I think Christian community looks like that sometimes, that we have people in our lives that are going to take us to the destination that we're going to no matter how much we kick and scream, no matter how much we don't want it. And the destination for us, if it's not clear, is Jesus. The destination for us is knowing Jesus more. It's loving Jesus more. It's being more like Jesus. It's obeying Jesus more. That's our destination. And we need people that we allow in our life to take us to that destination for the times when the sirens sound really beautiful, for the times when we want to dash the ships of our life on the rocks because it seems right to us. That's the kind of biblical community we need. And so this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our sermon. Is We're going to flesh all that out. So first we're going to talk about how do we have community like this? How is this sort of community even possible? Okay. Then we're going to talk about who do we allow to be those people, to be those shipmates? Who are the people in our life that we allow to do that? And then finally... In in, in a kind of pastoral turn towards specifics, I'm going to talk about uh, four areas or four categories of of relationship that we tend to not allow people in. Four areas of our life where we tend to keep private or we don't allow people to speak in and correct us. Where, quite Quite honestly, where we often don't submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that stuff might hurt a little, but again, I want to, my goal is that we get to the destination that is Jesus, that we stay on course, that we go towards him. My goal isn't that you guys start living life the way I see fit. My goal is that we start living life the way Jesus sees fit, okay? So let's hop into it. how, how is this even possible? How is community like this possible, and here is how it's possible, I've kind of already touched on it, when the destination for all of us is Jesus. If we're gonna be guides to one another, we need the destination to be Jesus. We need the goal of our life to be to get to know Jesus more, to love him more, to obey him more, to be more like him. We, as followers of Jesus in the room, we have to agree that that is our destination. That Jesus himself is our destination. We cannot do this. We cannot live well if for all of us, Jesus is not our destination. We need Jesus to be our destination in the midst of this. And so this is what this means. Sometimes when we're shepherding one another, when we're guiding one another away from the sirens, sometimes it's going to be messy And sometimes there's going to be people, sailors on your ship, so to speak, who are going to accidentally start to guide you towards the sirens. But because we're doing this in community with multiple people and leaders in our life, we'll be able to correct course and go towards Jesus. And so this is only possible if we agree That Jesus is our foundation and Jesus is our destination. Because if if we're going to be honest with ourselves, a lot of times people come to us and we want to guide them into what we think is wise, what we think is good, what we've been taught is good, when a lot of times it's contrary to God's word and contrary to going towards the destination of Jesus. And so the only way that this is possible is if we press into Jesus, if we rely on Jesus, if we agree to move towards Jesus as the destination. Amen, church? So who, who, do we, who do we let to do this? I think there's kind of two groups. And the first group is this, is our peers in Christ. So anyone that believes that Jesus is Lord over all, you can allow into your life in this way. Look at all the one another's throughout the scriptures. They are very intimate. Exhort one another, submit to one another, care for one another, all sorts of one another's throughout the Bible. And so we have to allow our peers in Christ to guide us to the destination that's Jesus. And so I think for some of us in here, there are some people that you in here in particular need to deputize, that you need to deputize into your life in a way, and you almost need to say, hey, listen, my private life is your business. The things that I keep private, I'm going to bring up to you. I'm going to allow you to speak into it. I'm going to allow you to correct me. I'm going to allow you to talk to me about it. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what we see, that the good news of the gospel has made it so that we can live that way. That we don't have to be autonomous, that we don't have to strive on our own. That we can rely on our brothers and sisters to speak into our life. And th- this is really hard because, if, if, again, if we're honest... What we want is not people that are going to speak into our life and correct us and show us scripture or where we need to hear scripture, but we want weak counselors that just listen. That's what we want. A lot of times I hear about people changing counselors and don't feel convicted, and I guess unless this is true about you, but where they're like, yeah, they were just correcting me too much and telling me I need to do some different things. And maybe you're right. Maybe they were being too judgmental, but I think a lot of times we just want someone to listen, and there's place for that in the body of Christ as well. But there's also place for the people in our life to speak to us and correct us. I remember years ago, a buddy of mine speaking into my life and just saying, hey, I don't think you talked to your wife right. I was like, whoa, hey, man, get out. Like, you know, like I was was, uh, taken aback. But I, I actually, over the next few days when, when that happened, I was like, he's, he's right. I need to correct this. I need to do it behind doors so no one sees. No, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but we need people to speak into our life. We need to deputize people to speak into our lives. Here, how we do our redemption is a few ways. Through redemption communities. If you want to join a redemption community, there will be people there who, who you can... Get to know and grow with and, and even say, hey, I'm gonna, I want you to be in my life in this way. I want my private life to be your business. You could do it through a mentor. You could find a mentor and ask for the wise counsel of a mentor and, and, and share all that's going on and, and, and allow a mentor to speak into your life. But this is so necessary for us as believers. We need to be able to submit to our peers in Christ even. All right, so that's kind of the first category of people that I think we should allow to do this. The second category of people is this, is our spirit-filled Christ-following leaders, All right? Our, our leaders that follow Christ, we need to allow into our life. And I think this is the one that bristles us, right? Like how often does it, in our culture do we say things like, I don't get well, along well with authority, right? Like we're cowboys or something <laughs> like Like, why? Like, are you, what's wrong? When people say that to me, I'm always like, okay, (laughs) cool. (laughs) But it's like something we revere in our culture, at least some of us do. But the way that Jesus has established his kingdom is he has gifted some to not only help run the ship, but to guide the ship to its destination. And so we need shepherds, we need leaders and we need to allow them to speak into our life, to course correct us. Here's the thing, you can pick what church you go to. right? We, that's kind of a blessing of this country is you, you can pick what church you go to and maybe that's a blessing that needs to be taken away because we really treat it like a consumeristic thing sometimes. And so if you're here at this church, or here I'll say that, if you're, if you're at any church and you consistently feel like you can't listen to the leaders, that you can't follow the leaders, that the things they say about Scripture isn't true, it's one of three things. It's bad leadership, or you're a bad follower, or it's kind of a mixture and it's just not a good fit. And so you should probably go to a church where you can obey the leaders, where you can listen to the leaders, where you can allow them to guide you towards the destination of Jesus. And again, I gave those three different things. It's gonna be one of those three things. And I think if we're honest again, more often than not, it's because we're bad followers. More often than not, we wanna go our own way. We wanna blaze our own trail. But but Jesus says that authorities in our life are a good thing. So hear me. I'm saying authorities in our life are a good thing. Authoritarians, not a good thing. Jesus does not want us to have authoritarians. I don't want you to just obey everything I say. I want you to listen when I'm guiding you to Jesus. Like good biblical authorities, they offer biblical wisdom, not their own wisdom. Good biblical authorities, they don't want to control you. They want the best for you, and that's Jesus. Authoritarians, they want to add to Scripture sometimes. They want you to see them as their Savior instead of Jesus as your Savior. They do want to control your life. They might even tell you to sin. So hear me. Don't allow those kind of leaders in your life. But I think sometimes it gets messy in our culture to, to distinguish between the two. And I think that's sad. Jesus wants us to have authorities in our life, flawed authorities in our life. Vince and Randy and me and the other leaders in in this church, we're working our tails off to make sure we never become authoritarians. I, I promise you that. We are working our tails off to make sure we don't become authoritarians, that the leaders we raise up don't become authoritarians, And I just want you guys to know that. That's not our heart. Our heart is not control. Our heart is that you get more of Jesus, that you know more of Jesus. And so, since Jesus has established his church in a way that he wants leaders caring for the flock, who are the church leaders that you've deputized into your life? Who are the church leaders that you're going to listen to on certain issues that you're unsure about? Who are those people? The the Jesus in me mentality of life lets peers in Christ and leaders in Christ in your life up to a point. And as soon as it kind of starts getting uncomfortable or they say something you don't like, then you're like, nah, I'm going to kind of cut off relationship or I'm not going to listen or I'm going to do my own thing. But the Jesus in us mentality kind of humbly submits to one another and goes, okay, are these leaders guiding me towards Jesus? Jesus. Even if they're wrong, is there heart for me to get more of Jesus? Are my peers, are they guiding me to Jesus? We need people to guide us simply because we can't always see ourselves very well. Have you noticed how popular uh, Enneagram is right now? Everybody loves it. They're like, hey, you're a seven, you're a five, you're a six, Whatever like, oh, you're doing that because you eat hamburgers like a two, or whatever, like, there's just all this, I'm like, whoa. Um, and you know why? It's because it helps us to understand ourselves. And God has given us the church to help us understand ourselves, help us understand where we need him. I'm not dissing on Instagram I think that's a helpful tool, but God has given us the body of believers to help us understand our hearts and how they work. they, our friends and our leaders can see us in a way that we can't see ourselves sometimes. And so I want to move into this last part of the sermon. And and this last part of the sermon, I do want to look at some specific areas where I, I think that I often, and other leaders in this church often, run into people that they're like, hey, you can be in my life up until this point and up or up until this category, and then I'm not gonna let you speak into this category anymore. And again, I think biblical community will often have us submitting to one another even when we don't want to, even when it feels wrong to us, just like Odysseus on the ship. And so I wanna speak to some of those areas in hopes, again, not that I have more control over this church, but that God has more control over us, that we're more submitted to him, that we love him, that we know him more. Okay, so four categories of relationship that I think we don't allow people to speak into. The first one is this, is your relationship with God. And you think, no, I think I'm really open about my relationship with God. Well, I, I really do think our sin life is a part of our relationship with God. It's when we're turning away from God. And I think so often we hide in sin and we don't want to share what's going on, what we're tempted towards or what we're actually doing. We hide in sin often until we're close to destruction, close to our ship crashing on the rocks. Then we might bring it up. Then we might talk about it. But in everyday life, I think this is a category that we need to talk through that we need to be honest about. I, I, I love Curtis Chance Jr. I love Senior as well, but I love Curtis Chance Jr. because all the time when I hang out with Curtis, he goes, dude, can I confess some sin to you today? And he'll tell me some stuff and he'll know how sinful his heart was. And I'll be like, I don't know if that was a sin, but he knows what was going on in his heart. I think that's beautiful. And he, he's open to correction. He's open to hearing about, like that's a beautiful picture of bringing the whole of his relationship to me. Sharing with his peer in Christ. We need to put our sin on the table. We need to put our doubts and what we wrestle with on the table too. I think too often we have these really deep-seated doubts that we're scared to say out loud so we don't. And we need to be better about sharing that with one another. If you read the Psalms, if you go through the Psalms, which is the songbook of God's people, what you see is they sing about everything. They sing about their struggle with the sin. They sing about forgetting God. They sing about needing to remember God. They sing about praising God. They sing about their shame. They sing about when God feels far away. For the people of God, everything is on the table in our relationship with him. Everything. We don't have to just share the clean-cut stuff. We can share the messy stuff too. God gets it. He knows who we are. He knows that we need guidance towards him. So don't hide in your relationship with God. Be be more open. Kind of the next category of relationships I want to go through is our relationship with our leaders. And I know I already touched on this. But I, I want to touch on it more specifically. And again, please hear me as saying Biblical authority is good, not authoritarianism. Here's why I know we only submit to our leaders up to a point. And I experienced this in my own heart. I think all the time Vince hears, and I hear with him, like, how gifted of a preacher he is. And I agree. I feel very edified, and I'm thankful that our church has his gifting of preaching And nine out of ten Sundays, we'll hear encouragement about it, and that's great. But every once in a while, when Vince presses on something that's kind of an idol of our culture, it could be anything, he'll get a lot of disagreement. He'll get a lot of pushback. Now listen, we are fallible. So I'm not saying what Vince says is infallible and perfect but I think a lot of times he'll say these things that are almost like verbatim of scripture, but because it presses on a pressure point of our culture or an idol that we might have, then we go, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to agree with you anymore. And I, I think sometimes it could be RC leaders, it could be mentors. We'll listen to them until we disagree with them. And that's just sad because then we're just echo chambers of one another. We only allow relationships in our life where they'll say what we want to hear. And sometimes your leaders are going to say things you don't want to hear. Now, please be very balanced with what I'm saying there. Me and Vince say wrong stuff all the time, and we know it, and we need correction there. But sometimes, it's just funny to me how often where it'll be like a clear teaching of Scripture, and that's when people have a hard time with it because it's an idol in our culture. I don't know, give me grace. Just think about that. Another big area of relationships that I think we don't allow people to speak into are romantic relationships, okay? So here, when one of y'all get in a relationship with somebody, we can just say, okay, we're done. We're not gonna be able to speak into their life anymore. Like, in my seven years here of ministry, I won't speak of where else, but in seven years of doing ministry here, I would say 99% of the time, if somebody gets into a relationship with somebody, it's done. They're going, like, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Their peers that love them, their best friends that they grew up with could be like, hey, I don't know if that's a great thing, a great relationship to be in for this and this and this, and they'll go, Nah. That person makes me feel good. Like we, we what, for whatever reason, in romantic relationships, we, we just don't want to listen to people. It's like we forgot the important lesson we learned in Frozen when Anna went after Kristoff or whoever it was. Even Disney's trying to get it reach us and go, listen, don't get in on unhealthy relationships. But in the church, how much more so should we be listening to the advice of our peers in Christ and our leaders? But so often the church, we go, nah, I don't like what you're saying because you're saying I need to do this or do that or do this. And please, those of you in here that maybe feel like I'm, this is personal I'll point at you, don't because you all do it. So you can all feel like it's personal. <laughs> but we should allow people to speak into our life about all romantic relationships. And listen, married people, you're not off the hook either. Married people, I, I, it blows my mind how often people come to us on the brink of disaster in their marriage. That they put on a face in their RC, that they put on a face in life, like eh, everything's okay, we're all right, we're doing good. And, and, and then when it's just near the brink of disaster, you're like how long has this been going on? Like how long has this stuff been happening? You're like, I don't know, like five years? And we're like, what? So, married people, we're not off the hook here. For whatever reason, we uh, are closed off in our romance lives as well with our spouse. We need people in our life. Husbands, you need people in your life to encourage you to love your wife better and sin against her less. Wives, you need the same thing. We need this. We need to be vulnerable with each other. What I love about Vince and Randy is they are always, we're always asking each other, but they're in particular asking me, like, how are things going in your marriage? And I get to be it's hard for me to lie, so I often have to just be vulnerable and honest, and I hate it. Like, I even plan lying sometimes because I know they're going to ask. I'm sorry. I'm sinful. But I'm like, I can't. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. And they speak into it, and they love me, and they care for me, and they guide me into loving just more and looking more like Christ to her. We need that. So, friends, romantic relationships, they should be on the table for the people of God to speak into, to submit to one another. And some of you are going, no, they shouldn't. And hey, just read the Bible and see if you come to the same conclusion. All right. The last kind of category of relationship that I want us to get into, I think will help our church, is our relationship with the world. And I specifically mean kind of our dealings with the world. And I'm only going to touch on two things in particular. But I want to touch on money and politics. Because I think a lot of times in these two areas, we don't allow our peers in Christ or our leaders in Christ to speak into them. With money, our culture is really secretive about money and really weird about money. People leave churches, even like someone might leave today just because I mentioned money. Because of our culture's idolatry of money and autonomy and, and all of that. And frankly, our idolatry of it as well. And so I'm not saying you got to share your W-2s with each other, but I think money should be more of an open conversation so that we can stir each other towards generosity, so we can stir each other away from idolatry, so we can stir each other away from bad stewardship of it. We should be more open and honest about our dealings with money, with our peers in Christ and our leaders, knowing that they want to lead us to Jesus. With politics, which I know a lot of you are oh great, you know. I don't think I need to say much. But here, here's what I, I view a lot of times in our church. There's some people in our midst who are peacemakers, who are doing everything they can to follow God's leading when it comes to political engagement. And I watch them as they grow weary because they're in relationship with people that identify with only one side of the aisle or the other. And they begin to have these conversations where like, I think God on this particular issue would draw us this way. And one side of the aisle or the other will, no, 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 no. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to be corrected. I'm not going to change my thinking. I can't. I've established what I thought. I think the way I think about politics and no one can change it. Isn't that sad, church? That so many of us are political lives, and I'm speaking for myself and clear where I go, I have figured it out. I know the right way to do this. I know the right way to think through this. And that's just not true. I just think we need to be more open to correction when it comes to political thought and engagement and what that looks like. And so if you find yourself never being corrected about your political thought, you're probably wrong. The church is a peculiar people. The world looking in at our politics should not be able to make sense of it because it looks like Jesus. Please don't leave the church. Um, I think only Jesus could lead us into this sort of a community. Right where we talk about our relationship with God, where we're open to be vulnerable about our sin, where where we listen to leaders even when it feels like what they're saying is wrong, where we bring our romantic lives to the table, single people and married people, where we allow ourselves to be corrected in how we use our money and and how we deal in politics. This isn't possible in our own strength. It's only possible with Jesus. It's only possible understanding that he has made us new creations and he has filled us with his spirit. And when we lean into that. At the beginning of Genesis, there's a lot of stories about sin's distortion in the world, but there's two in particular, where you begin to see how sin has distorted and and corrupted community with one another. And right away, it's it's one of the first stories where sin enters the world is God is asking Adam what happened and why did he sin, and he blames Eve. He goes, I sinned only because of her. She's the one that made me do it. So right away, we see sin affect community in a way where we blame each other for our problems. We blame each other for what we've brought upon ourselves. And then Adam and Eve, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And one day out in a field, Cain rises up in jealousy of his brother because God favored the sacrifice of Abel's over Cain's. And so Cain kills his brother Abel. And then we see God move towards Cain. He doesn't torture him. He doesn't just kill him outright. He just moves in love towards Cain even though he knows exactly what Cain has done. And he says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain, in his response, says, I I think something evil. He just says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And it's so evil because he took his brother's life for himself. So to have the audacity to say to God, am I his keeper? While knowing he took his life because of jealousy, Jesus came to redeem that. Jesus came to redeem those moments. The mechanism in which he redeemed it is coming to earth and showing us how holy and good and true he is. And dying on the cross for our sins, for Cain's sin. And raising from the dead to show us he's more powerful than death. That's the mechanism in which he has come, uh, that he used to redeem community. And because of that, we have the spirit in us and he's regenerated our hearts. He's taken our hearts of stone and he's made them hearts of flesh. And because of that, when God now comes to us and he says to us, hey, what's going on with your brother or sister in Christ? Our response doesn't have to be like Cain's response. We can say, you know what? I don't know. I do care about my brother. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And they're my keeper as well. God has come to redeem that. Jesus in his work has come to redeem that. And guess what? We're not just doing that just to redeem the moment, but we're also doing it to reflect who Jesus is, like I talked about earlier. Jesus, in his life, always submitted to the Father. In all that he did, he was submitted to his Father. Jesus, in his life, was always guided by the Spirit. If you you don't believe me, read through the Gospel of Luke and see how often Jesus is guided and filled by the Spirit. And so when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we're showing the world who Jesus is. When we allow others to guide us in our life, we're showing the world how Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus came to redeem community for us and we so badly need him to and when we allow him to do it, we begin to reflect his image to the world. So church, we need a faith that's not a just Jesus in me faith but we need a faith that is a Jesus and us faith. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you redeem all things. God, I just repent right now. I just, of my own living into the sinful effects of of sin on community that I often want to blame others for my problems, or my sin really, I should say. Or I often want to rise up in jealousy against a brother or sister. Or I often want to say, am I even supposed to take care of them? I'm not their keeper. God, help us. Help us to do this. Help us to see that you have given us new hearts. Help us all to go towards the destination that is you together. God, we await the day when you return. And in the meantime, God, let us be beacons and witnesses to that and to what you've done. God, we love you and we need you and we need your love and your grace for this sort of community to even be possible. Amen.